instead of ordinary. And so my challenge to you again this week, if you didn't do it last week, do it this week. Try it out. My wife and I talked about it just this morning, actually. And I was telling her, you know what mine was? It's, uh, whenever my wife asked me to do the dishes or laundry, I wouldn't have any bad attitude at all. I would gladly fold laundry, wash dishes, whatever. And I think I did it this week. I actually did get to fold quite a bit of laundry this week. Yeah. I didn't tell her ahead of time, though. Um, And so I really encourage you, do something extraordinary this week. Each time we come together on Sunday morning, you have an opportunity as you sit here and as we open up God's Word and we look at what God's Word says, you have an opportunity to walk out of here a changed person. But it's only an opportunity. You have to choose what you're going to do with that opportunity. And you can leave it here. You can leave it behind. You can say, well, that was a good word. That was a good challenge. But then not do anything with it. It doesn't change your life at all. And in essence, what you did was a whole lot of nothing. You missed an opportunity. And so each week we try and present you not only with what the Word of God says, but what you can do in your life to act out the Word of God, the truth of God's Word in your life and see a change. Because we believe that not only is God's Word true, but that when you live it out in your life, it affects in a positive way all the people around you. Everybody around you gets to taste and see, as the psalmist says, that the Lord is good. Because God is good and He wants to do good things in your life and the lives of those around you. But you have a choice to make. That's not going to happen just automatically. Just because you're sitting here this morning, and I applaud you for being here, that's not enough. And so this morning as we continue our series... I want to tell you the second thing. There's two things that I believe every one of us must do if we're going to live an extraordinary life. Ordinary is easy. That's the default. If you want to be ordinary, do nothing. You'll be ordinary. There's a lot of ordinary people in this world. Do ordinary things. But if you want to be extraordinary, and I believe God calls us as his people to be extraordinary, there's two things you have to do. Last week I talked about death to self. We looked at Romans chapter 12. What it means to be a living sacrifice, to die daily, self and submit to God. But this morning I want to challenge you. Do you fear God? Do you fear God in heaven? Do you have a, a healthy fear for your creator? It wasn't too long ago I was at a Starbucks store. A lot of times I go into Starbucks and I see a new face behind the counter. I go, oh, a new hire. Sometimes they're real young. I went into the Starbucks store and there was a young gal behind the register. And you can tell right away if you go to Starbucks as much as I do, because they all have like the same, right, row. They row used to run a Starbucks. They train them very well. There's certain things you're supposed to do and certain things you're not supposed to do. When I come in to order my Starbucks mocha, which is the same thing I always order, and I give them the thing, if they can't repeat it back without stumbling over it, I know they're pretty new. And this gal that I came in, I, I started talking to her, and she's making small talk with me. And I could tell right away. This is probably like our first week on the job, maybe even first day. She looked real uncomfortable and, you know, anything. So um, I told her I want a grande whole milk, no whipped mocha, which is my standard. It's kind of hard to say the first few times you say it. And she was stumbling over it, and, you know, and she realized that I was on to her, and she says, it's my first day, duh. Which is fine, right? You've got to start somewhere. I had first day at every job I ever had, so, you know, I understand how this so, uh, you know, she does the order and everything, but she's, she's nervous. And I can tell she's nervous. And, and she calls out the order to the barista, and the barista starts making it up. But she called it out wrong, and the barista corrected her. And she did it out loud in front of me and other people in line behind me. And then she gets even more embarrassed. 
So I pull my money out to pay, and I give her a $20 bill. So she takes $20 bill, she opens the register, and she's like, you can see the wheels turning. You know, how do you make change? How do you make change? And she's trying to make change. But when she goes and gives me back the change, she gave me $5 too much. And she worked really hard on the math, and she still gave me $5 too much. So when she counted it, you know, back to me, and she couldn't quite count it right, she just handed me the whole wad of money that she had in her hand. And I looked at it, and I said, I think you gave me $5 too much. But I didn't say it real loud because, you know, I knew she was the one that gave it. And she went, oh, she looked at me and said, oh, thank you so much. And I walked out of there, and I thought to myself, how often do people give the wrong change and nobody ever says anything? In fact, I would put that question to you. If you were to go somewhere today after church and you were to buy something and the person gave you back 20 bucks too much change, what would you do? Would you keep it? Would you go back in? Would you return the $20? And I would propose to you that the world we live in today, it's very ordinary in today's world for people to accept money that doesn't rightfully belong to them. Very ordinary. In fact, I've talked to a lot of young people who say, hey, it's their bad. That's their job. And if they give me back the wrong amount of change, that's their problem, not mine. As if somehow it's, a, it's just a little freebie in our society if they mess up and you get to keep the change. And I've noticed throughout the years in talking with folks, people make a lot of exceptions for when they can take something that's not theirs. People take things home from work that don't belong to them. And they say, well, the company's big. They got plenty. And, and I just took one little thing. And people rationalize ways that they can steal from others. That's pretty ordinary in our society. If you can get away with it, if nobody knows about it, if you didn't actually you know, try to, to steal something and, and you didn't do anything big, then we make an exception in our society. You know, during the Olympics, there was a big debate about the age of the Chinese gymnasts. I'm sure none of you heard that on TV or anything like that. It was no big deal. Right. It was all in the news for, for a long time. And they said, there's no way that these gymnasts are the age they say they are. I mean, they were like this tall. You know, they had not a wrinkle on their whole face. They were like, you know, they looked like newborn babes out there. And they're flipping and twisting and doing, you know, all these bending. And, and they won all these gold medals. And, and uh, there was a lot of debate about their age. Were they old enough or not? And shortly after that, I was listening on sports radio. And the, the guy on the radio just said to all the callers, here's a question. I'd like you guys to call in and you could win a gold medal, but you had to cheat to do it, but nobody ever knew that you cheated. You could cheat and get away with it. That was the way he said it. You could cheat and get away with it, and you could win a gold medal. Would you do it? Well, over the next few minutes, as callers called in, about nine out of ten said, absolutely, I'd do it. Are you kidding me? How many people get to win a gold medal in this life? If I could cheat and nobody found out, absolutely, I'd take a gold medal. I'm listening to that, and I'm going, No! No. And the one guy that called in goes, no, I wouldn't do it because I'd have to sleep with myself every night and I'd feel guilty. And I was like, yeah, that's the truth. But yet it reminded me once again that ordinarily, the ordinary self-centered person, whether they're a believer or not, if you're self-centered, ordinarily, we play pretty fast with the rules. We're willing to make an exception for self if it suits what we desire. You know, there's a lot of trouble on Wall Street these days as well, and I mentioned that last week. And I was thinking about how do you account for all these CEOs that make all this money? And people are really upset with, you know, 480 
million dollars that uh, the head of AIG made over eight years. Four hundred and eighty million. If you say that's not right, the company goes bankrupt and the boss makes four hundred eighty million, and it's and he just walks with it. That's not right. And then other people say, well, it's the board's job to keep him accountable. That's what the board is for. He didn't do anything wrong. The board should have fired him or they should have paid him less or whatever. They should have kept him accountable. But then the board all has stock. They all have an invest interest. They have probably made a bunch of money too. You think, wait a minute. This is our system and the whole system's messed up. And it reminds me once again, ordinary people do horrible things. And they rationalize it. And ordinary people are us, you and me. Oftentimes, we're the ordinary people. And we can look at Wall Street, and we can look at the Chinese gymnasts, and we can look at the people who take the five bucks from Starbucks when they have the chance, and we can say for shame on them. But I want you this morning to look at your own life and ask yourself this question. When nobody's looking, when nobody knows, do you do the right thing or do you do your thing? And I believe it all comes down to one central issue. Do you fear God? Or do you just fear man? If you could get away with it and no one can catch you, it doesn't make it right. And God is still watching. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Proverbs is a book that is full of good advice, good principles to live by. At the very beginning here in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs reminds us of this truth. Verse 1 says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Verse 2, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This book, Proverbs, was written so that you could learn from the wisdom of others. As God inspired the writer of this book, wisdom was being passed on to you. I want you to notice a couple things in this passage this morning. Verse 2 reminds us that, quote, these are for attaining wisdom and discipline. Are you wise in the way that you live your life and the decisions that you make? Are you disciplined to do the right thing, even when you don't want to, even when it costs you personally? Do you have understanding? Do you understand the consequences for the things that you do? And do you do what is right and just and fair? If somebody were to evaluate your life, would they say that person does what is right, they do what is just, what is fair. God's words teaches us what is right and what is just and what is fair. He's the one that evaluates that in each one of our lives. And you know, if you're an extraordinary person, if you want to transcend the ordinary and be extraordinary, you have to be trustworthy in every way. You have to be a person of character. 2 Kings 12.15 says, They did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave the money to pay the workers because they acted with complete honesty. There was a time in the history of Israel when they were rebuilding the temple 
And during that time, they collected up a bunch of money. And amazingly here in 2 Kings, it reminds us that the, the priests who collected the money when they paid the men to work on the temple, they didn't even keep account of their work. They said, tell us how much we owe you, and we'll just pay it. However long you work, whatever you do, we're not concerned that you're going to rip us off because we know that you're honest men and that you'll do what you said you'd do and you'll, you'll charge us a fair price. Can you imagine living in that world? That's extraordinary. When was the last time that you brought someone over to your house and you said, look, we need some work done on the house. Don't worry about telling me how much it costs. Just do the work, and then when you're done, tell me how much I owe you and I'll pay up. I mean, that would be crazy, right? In the ordinary world we live in, we know better than that. Because ordinarily, if you said that to someone, they'd rip you off. And you say, well, not if they're Christian. Right? A Christian wouldn't do that. Wrong. Do you know how many times in the context of growing up in the church, serving in the church, I've heard about somebody who was a Christian who did some work on somebody else's house, and then guess where they come when things go badly? To the pastor. And they say, this person did this work on my house, and they overcharged me. They didn't do the work right, this, that. And I, they're Christians. Even Christians ordinarily need to be held accountable. But yet I read right here, 2 Kings 12, 15, that they acted with complete honesty. The workmen acted with complete honesty, and they didn't need anybody to watch over them. How can you do that? How can you live in that kind of world? And I believe the reason they could do that is because they knew that those men feared God. And when you fear God, and you know God's watching, it doesn't matter if a human's watching or not. Because you wouldn't dare cheat another human being, because you'd have to make an account before your heavenly Father. There was a time when we were in seminary. One of the ways God blessed us to get through seminary was that I worked for a guy named Steve Baxter. He was a character if I ever met one. But Steve was a pastor, a youth pastor that was independently wealthy. So the church gave him a salary, and he took that salary, and he just spent it on the kids. We used to do all kinds of crazy stuff. We'd go out, and he'd rent all the video games in a video arcade for two hours and tell the kids just go play for free. Everybody loved Steve. But one of the reasons he was independently wealthy is he owed a bunch of apartment calls. And he owned them in really bad parts of town. His specialty was to take an apartment that nobody else could make money on that was going bankrupt, and he'd come in buy it for pennies on the dollar. He'd bring in his crew, and they would come in, and they would turn that thing into a money maker. He had a gift. He had a niche. So he owned several apartment complexes. I'm talking big ones, like 500-plus units. And so I was a seminary student. I was also working at the church, and he was my immediate boss. He'd gone to the same seminary I had, and he knew how expensive it was. And so one day we were talking, and, and I was telling him about some construction work I was doing on the apartment we lived in. And, and he said, hey, I got a, a couple of jobs that you could do out of the apartments. So I went out, and I checked it out. And he said, look, I always have work at the apartments. In fact, why don't you just tell me which ones you want, and you can have whatever jobs you want. And I'm thinking, this is unreal. I mean, I get the cream of the crop. So I went out, and I looked at several jobs, and I said, job where we're putting some things up on the roof and some attic accesses and stuff. So I'll take that one. That one looks like a good job. And so he told me it costs $2,000 for each one of these metal doors to open. So I go, you know, I could, I could manufacture those things and put them on there for about 400 bucks. He goes, well, then, you know, whatever you charge, that'd be fine with me. So I came home and I told Nick, I said, I think we can make a little bit of money here. And so I put all the numbers together and I brought them to him. And 
uh, we did that job. It worked out to be a win-win. I made good money. He made good money. And then every summer after that, he never asked me for a bid for anything. He said, you pick whatever jobs you want. You do whatever you need. Whenever you need a check from me, you let me know. And at the end of the job, you tell me how much I owe you, and I'll just write you a check. Isn't that unbelievable? And I think the last summer that I was there, I made like $20,000 in one summer. I had a crew of five guys working for me, and he never asked for a single bill. Now, honest truth, I never stole the dollar from that guy. I worked my tail off, and we did good work. But I read this passage. They acted with complete honesty. And I think about that, and I go, that's possible even in today's world. It is possible for somebody to act with complete honesty. And even though they have an opportunity to rip somebody else off, to conceal something, to make something sound a little bit better than it is, you don't have to. But in order to do that, you have to do something extraordinary. And I really think that comes from having a fear of God. I could have pulled the wool over Steve Baxter's eyes, but I wouldn't have got away with it. I was a seminary student trying to work my way through seminary, and God blessed me with a great opportunity. What a fool I would be to then turn around and use that to my advantage and try and make my own way in the world. I would be a fool. And so we turn to verse 7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What a fool I would be to say, well, God's, God's looking, but I'm sure I can get away with this. I'll make a little bit more money. I probably could have made 30000 that summer. But what would I have to show for it? God couldn't bless me had I done that. You know, I really believe that doing the right thing begins with the fear of the Lord. I believe that if you and I are to be extraordinary, we not only have to be selfless, but we also have to be people who fear our Creator. And whether somebody's watching what you do or not, you still do the right thing. Could you become that kind of person? Are you already that kind of person? Because that's the kind of person that God is asking for in his church. God's church should be full of such honest people that when other people deal with us, they know the reputation of the church is that these people do more work, harder work, better work than anyone else, and they never ask for too much compensation. That should be, our, that should be a characteristic of God's church. Yet, unfortunately, God's people have done nothing but ordinary, self-centered, I'm going to get mine. And we don't enjoy that reputation in our world. When I was in Holland, we had an epidemic break out at our church. Our church was broken into four times in the span of six months. I mean, it was crazy. It was like every day you'd come to work and you go, is the window going to be there or not? Four times in six months was crazy. They, they stole all the computers the first time. We all had desktops back in those days. They stole every computer. We went into work. They had thrown a, a potted plant through the front window. They broke in. They stole all the computers. There was an alarm in the building. The alarm was going off, but they were probably only in there for about two, three minutes, and they were out. So we put a new window on, made sure the alarm was working, and we were pretty sure that it wouldn't happen again because that would be pretty brazen to come back again because everybody was on full they came back again about a month later, stole all brand new computers that we just got everything reloaded onto. They looked for the offering. They were, they were pillaging through the office. You could tell they were kind of looking to see if there was like offering money, which that, there never was because that always makes space for things. Eventually, 
on the fourth time that they broke in, we had bars. Or we turned one room into basically like a big walk-in shave. Had bars on everything, and just stood over these chicks and let them go. And they were not able to get in there. And that was the only place where any expensive stuff was kept. All of us had laptops that we took home every night. I mean, we did all of that. And I remember at, the, at that time thinking, who breaks into a church? I mean, if you're going to break in somewhere, don't break into God's house. Don't break in and steal God's stuff. And we were reminded that in today's world, people don't fear God. Who's God? Is God even real? What's God going to do to me? Churches are an easy target. People broke into churches, stole our stuff. I know Fremont Press, they lost a huge trailer full of stuff just a couple years ago. Someone came and stole it. I think that's crazy. I had I always leave my Bible in my car. And I had my car broken into a couple years ago. And I remember the Bible was laying on the front seat. And the person that was stealing all the change out of my change drawer in the middle and stuff probably had their knee on my Bible while they were doing it. And I was thinking, what a world we live in where people have no fear of God. I can do wrong, I can do bad, and I'm not going to have to pay because there is no God. God's not able to do anything about it. God doesn't even come into the equation. At least that's the way it seems people think in our world, and I hope you don't think that way, but I'm here to tell you that if you don't fear God, you're going to be tempted to do things that you think you can get away with that the Bible says you will never get away with. When you're watching television alone at your house and nobody else is there, Are you aware that God is watching and taking note of all of your decisions? When you're on your computer at work, you're supposed to be working, you're playing around, are you aware that God is there taking note of what you do? When you go on your computer and you view sites that are not honoring to God, to your family, are you aware that God is there watching and taking note? When you're tempted to cut corners at work, to falsify the things that you do, or to over-exaggerate, are you aware that God is there and He's taking note? When you're having conversations with people and you start gossiping about somebody else, sharing some of their dirty laundry with others, are you aware that God is watching and taking note? When you're given an opportunity to give of your finances to the Lord's work, Are you aware that God's watching and taking note? I could go on and on and on, and you could fill in the blanks, but God is always there, always watching, always taking note. There's no place that you can go. There's no time limit to how long you'd have to wait. And there's no day in the calendar that's an exception. God's always watching what you do. He's there with you. And nothing that you do goes unnoticed. 1 Corinthians 4 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to whatever is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Things you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's all recorded. God keeps note of everything you do, and God will repay the good and the bad. And I'm aware that in today's world, there's a great lack of the fear of God. 
And many Christians that I meet say, oh, you know, God is a God of grace. And amen to that. God is a God of grace. And Christ's blood covers all of your sins. But yet God is still going to ask an account of you for what you did with the grace that he gave to you. You can choose wisely or you can choose poorly. But you have a choice to make. And my challenge to you this morning is would you do something extraordinary? Would you do something extraordinary and become that man or that woman that God created you to be who's honest, full of character, and when nobody else is looking, still chooses to do the right thing as part of an act of worship to a holy God who's given you the ability to do every good work that he's called you to, whether it's hard or whether it's easy? Because God in heaven is keeping track of everything you do, and he expects that you would be holy. That's God's call for the church. That's what it looks like to be extraordinary. So for last week, talking about being selfless, this week I challenge you to be a man or a woman who fears God and does right. And if you can do those two things, then I believe that we as a church can continue to challenge each other to be extraordinary in every area, every arena of life, that we would not be ordinary, but extraordinary. Ordinary people do what they have to to get by. Extraordinary people do what is right in the sight of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for each one who is here today. Lord, we all have a decision to make at this moment. We can take these words to heart. We can apply them to the secret areas of our life. We can ask that you would forgive us our shortcomings in the past and pledge to do better in the future. But, Lord, I know that there are some here this morning that will take the easy route and choose to be ordinary when you've given them everything they need to be extraordinary. And, Lord, I pray for their faith right now. Lord, that you would not let a single one of us off the hook. Lord, that you would be jealous for your name and your reputation in this world. And, Lord, each one of us who bears your name informs our world of your reputation who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would not let any of us off the hook. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict us, that we would fear you every moment of the day, that we would know that we could do right instead of wrong. We could be honest instead of self-serving. And so, Lord, I ask that each one who is here today would be renewed and challenged as the scripture has renewed our minds, it would change our actions. Lord, help us to be holy as you are holy, perfect as you are perfect in all that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This next song is talking about the presence of God. We're standing here in his presence. His holiness, His righteousness, His faithfulness. There's nothing like being conscious of God's presence and His holiness to motivate us to holiness. Like Pastor Dan was saying, honesty, to be like Him. That's what we need to do. We need to be like Him. Let's sing this song now. Focus on His presence, being like Him.
Father, we just want to thank you for who you are this morning. And God, before we rush out of your presence in a sense here, Lord, before we rush out of the attitude of our hearts right now, church, I just want you to stay in an attitude of worship. Don't move and worry about your kids or your coffee under your chair. Just stay in the presence of the Lord right now. This is a holy moment here. And Father, we just want to, before we step out into everything that's waiting for us, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, with family, whatever's waiting for us outside those doors, God, we can just wait. It can wait. This is your time here, Lord. And I pray that you'd speak to each heart here, God. Father, we ask that you set us aright, set our hearts right this morning, God. If our attitudes are wrong, adjust them for us, Lord. Help us to adjust them. If you're not in the place where you're supposed to be at with God right now, Ask the Lord to show you how you need to adjust that place. If you've offended or you've been offended by your brother or your sister, your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, ask God to help you sort that out. And Father, as Pastor Dan was speaking about making the right decision, even when no one's looking, God. As our eyes are closed right now, God, and we're aware of you, God, if we're not right with you, if we go to bed, God, and we're not right with you, life is not worth living, Lord. Father, I ask, that you would speak to people right now. And if we're not right with you, God, whether we're in relationship with you or whether we've never had a relationship with you, today, God, may we make the right decision. May we fear you, God. May we come to your cross, Lord. Surrender to you, not knowing, God, trusting you, not knowing what's going to happen, Lord, but trusting you with our lives. Whether it be, God, whether we've been following you for 20, 30 years, or whether we've just come to know you. And God, if we don't know you at all, praise you for this day, that you would draw us in, draw us closer, God. Rest life, I, I challenge you this morning. Let's not be an ordinary church filled with ordinary Christians doing ordinary things. But let's be a small church that makes a huge impact for God and on the people he's called us to. He's entrusted to us. Father, we may, we, if we need to make right with you, 
May we physically get out of our chairs and go meet you at the cross. If we don't know you, may we do the same. And church, Pastor Dan and I and some of the prayer ministry team will be waiting at the cross for you. And if you need prayer, if you need to recommit or just realign yourself, then come. Don't worry about your pride. Don't worry about who's next to you, who's going to watch you up there. Just come. And for those who are tearing down, please just wait for five minutes while we get this thing done, while we get right with God. And if you don't want to come up to the cross, but you know you need to change, and your pride's holding you back, and there's no way you can get forward, then speak to Pastor Dan and I afterwards, privately, if you feel embarrassed. And we'll pray with you.